Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do believe, according to your word, that where your people are gathered, there your spirit is, convicting us of sin, comforting us with the gospel, empowering us, filling us, so that we might hear the spirit is saying to the church that we might be so bold as to proclaim it to a lost and a dying world. So now we do ask once again that your spirit would have its work in this place. Fill us. Empower us. Convict us. Comfort us. Open our eyes. Open our ears. Open our hearts to the Christ. May he be magnified. May he be glorified in this place. Even now we pray. Amen. Well, we've come to the end of Samson's life. And as I was looking at this text this week, I was reminded once again, of course, it is all around us that this is Super Bowl Sunday. You know, I couldn't get away without saying that, right? The Super Bowl Sunday, but the thing that you will notice concerning Super Bowl Sunday is that there is a character trait that will not be on much display. And that is the trait of humility. There will not be much humility this evening. But then we are probably accustomed to that as we have been making our way through the life of Samson because in the life of Samson, there was not much humility as well. They tell us in real estate that the three most important factors in judging real estate is location, location, and location. Well, in that same vein, we should... We can and we should understand that the three most important qualities of being used of God and even coming to the worship of God and being used in the service of God is humility, humility, and humility. Nothing, nothing at all takes the place of it in the character of God's people and in the worship of God. It is that quality, it is that characteristic that identifies the true people of God as they worship and as they love and as they serve God. And this is a common theme that runs throughout the scripture that we should not miss. That those who come and worship God faithfully, those with whom God is pleased, are those who humble themselves before him. Second Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9, the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. That blameless heart, we understand, is a humble heart. For Isaiah In chapter 66 and verse 2, God says, this is the one to whom I look. This is the one to whom I look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit 
and trembles at my word. Humility, beloved, is an unmistakable distinguishing mark of Christianity. Humility is nothing more than looking at the glory and the grace of God and realizing that you are not worthy of anything you have or anything you are. C.J. Mahaney in his book on humility put it this way. He says, humility is honestly assessing ourselves in the light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. It is understanding, as the Apostle Paul says, understanding himself to be, in Ephesians chapter 3, to be the least of the saints. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 1, to be the foremost of sinners. That I am the least in the household of God because I am the foremost of those who sin? Alex Haley, the late author of the book of Roots, stories told that he had a picture in his on his office wall of a turtle sitting on a post. Just picture that for a moment. A turtle sitting on a fence post. And when someone asked him why he had that picture on the wall, this is what he said. He says. Whenever I get to thinking that I am someone or I say, wow, look at this marvelous thing that I have done. I remind myself that I am nothing more than a turtle on a fence post. If you see a turtle on a fence post, you know he had some help. And humility is remembered, it is expressed in our remembering that God is always our help. God is always our help. It is his glory at all times that the Christian is seeking. His glory all times. And if we accomplish anything in this world, it is for his glory. We understand that above all people, Christians are turtles. The Bible reminds us that God will not and he cannot share his glory. And those who exalt themselves in his presence, the Bible says again and again that God will bring them low. He will humble them. And those who humble themselves in his presence for his glory, he will exalt in due season. For as James Chapter 4 and verse 10 reminds us, for indeed he does resist the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. As we have seen in the life of Samson, we could, decide, we could describe Samson in many ways. We could talk 
about all of the character traits and qualities that Samson had, both good and bad. But there is one word that would not come to mind, and that is humility. Of all the men and women called of God in the scriptures, it could be argued that Samson was the least humble. And therefore, beloved, the most tragic. We see in Samson then a reminder to us all that God will bring down those who exalt themselves in his presence. God had given Samson a huge platform. He had given Samson an incomparable stage upon which to make much of God. And instead of using that platform, and instead of using that stage to make much of God, Samson used his platform, he used his gifts, he used his stage to make much of Samson. And Samson, as we see now in our text this morning, Samson who brought himself up high is the Samson that God brought low. Brought low. So we see here at the end of the life of Samson, what we see is the humbling of Samson. God humbles this man. Samson was the mightiest of men. No one before him and no one after him even compares. No one. By the time we get to the end of chapter 16, we can see in Samson the words of David, Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Samson's sin and pride has led to his disgrace. And it reminds us of of Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18, does it not? Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before fall. But old Samson has fallen off the map. Delilah had used him. Delilah had deceived him. The Philistines' lords have captured him. And in verse 21, the Bible says, they gouged out his eyes, they bound him, and they set him to grind at the mill in prison. They gouged out his eyes. They bound him, hands and feet. Then they took him and they set him to grind at the mill in prison. The old preachers, I remember, would put it in this way. They would say, sin blinds, sin binds, and sin grinds. Sin binds, sin blinds, and sin grinds. Sin blinds, 
Samson. Samson's eyes were the key to his downfall. Remember we saw this, this idea of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. And Samson always, always saw. And what he saw, he desired. And what he desired, he took. So how symbolic is it? That when God humbles him, God takes away his sight. He blinds him. And Samson's physical blindness was but a picture of his spiritual state. Sin had already blinded his eyes. So that even while he saw, he really could not see. And though he had eyes to see, he could only see sin. Now the Bible refers to sin as a state of darkness. Even a kingdom of darkness. Even the power of darkness. Sin blinds us. It blinds us. It keeps us from seeing the will and the way of God. It blinds the mind and it keeps people, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, it keeps them from seeing the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sin blinds. Jesus quotes Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 9. He reminds us that it is possible to have eyes and don't see. Because sin blinds. And it keeps us from seeing with the eyes of our heart the will and the way and the glory. That is Christ. Sin not only blinds, beloved, sin binds. Sin binds. Notice that Samson's captivity was more than to the Philistines. Samson's captivity was to sin. And so how appropriate it is that not only the Philistines would blind him, but then they would bind him. Shackles, as it were. Why? Because sin binds. Or as the Bible puts it, sin enslaves. So they bound him with shackles, but it was more than just shackles on his feet and shackles on his hand, but sin had already shackled his heart. It had already enslaved his mind Jesus says in John chapter 8 and verse 34 truly truly I say to you anyone who commits sin is a slave to sin why because sin enslaves sin binds we tend to think of the big sins that bind people drunkenness Sexual promiscuity, homosexuality, drug addiction. Those big sins, we say, yeah, I know sin binds. Look at them. Ah, gossip binds. 
You ever been, you, you, perhaps you are that person or perhaps you've been around that person that they can't get two sentences out without having to talk about somebody else. And they're caught in that web of gossip that has bound their hands, bound their eyes, bound their minds. It's bound their heart. Blind binds. People who want to stop lying and they find themselves always, always embellishing the truth again and again and again. It binds. Anger binds. The sin of anger will rise up on you and remind you that it has a grip hold on your heart even the very moment that you think you have overcome it. Anger. Jealousy binds, bitterness binds. All of the works of the flesh can bind a heart and keep them from embracing the glory of God that is in Christ Jesus. Because that's what sin does. It not only blinds, it binds. Then also we should be reminded that it doesn't just blind us, it doesn't just Bind us, but it grinds us. It grinds. Here is Samson grinding at the millstone. And so the mighty Samson was set to go around and around and around and around that millstone. Around and around and around. Forced as it was into slave labor. Why? Because... He was to be reminded like us that sin wears you down. It grinds at your soul. Don't just grind that grind at your soul, beloved. It will grind at our bodies. And it will wear us down. The Bible says in Proverbs 13 and 15 that the way of the transgressor is hard. The way of the transgressor is hard. It may appear pleasant and appealing at first, but Satan's objective is to ride you and ride you until he rides you out. That's what sin does. Rides us and rides us. Sin does not let up until it grinds us to a pulp. What a sober reminder it is as we look at the life of Samson. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. He's blind. He's bound. He's grinding at the And all of this, we can refer to as just the mocking of Samson. He is being mocked. He is being mocked. Samson once prided himself on his ability to mock the Philistines. Again and again, he mocked Delilah. And ultimately, as we saw last week, however, he mocked God. And as a result of this, we see two things. Things, very important for us to remember. 
the Philistines mocked Samson. And the Philistines mocked his God. Notice in verse 25 what the Philistines say. After they have him bound, after they have him grinding, he's blinded and he's grinding at the millstone. Verse 25, they say, call Samson that we may, that he may entertain us. Samson, the mighty Samson, the powerful Samson is now nothing more than a sideshow, a sad clown for others' entertainment, for the amusement of the masses. He has become the object of ridicule and amusement, the source of laughter, as it They're laughing at Samson. They're mocking him. And because Samson so frequently toyed with the Philistines, now the Philistines toy with Samson. You know, the Bible says, and we've heard it again and again. The reason we hear it so often, it's because it is so true. Be not deceived. God indeed is not mocked. Whatsoever a person sows, that shall they also reap. Samson mocked the Philistines, and now the Philistines are mocking Samson. But not only do they mock Samson, now the Philistines mock Samson's God. Notice in verse 23 that after the capture of Samson, what they do? What do they do? They offer sacrifice and praise to their God, Dagon. And they say, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. They they praise a false and phony God for what Jehovah did. They praise and worship a God of their own imaginations for what the one and true living God has done. Why do they do this? They do it because Samson failed to give praise to Jehovah. They do it because Samson failed to give honor and glory to the God who has created them. And when Samson failed to do so, the Philistines failed to do so. Remember, this was the call of Israel, the whole nation of Israel from the very beginning. From the very beginning, she was supposed to be a light to the other nations. She was supposed to be a light that when the other nations saw her worshiping and honoring and loving the God of the universe, the other nations would fall in line and see, oh, what a mighty God they serve. And the sin of Israel was that they failed to be a light to the other nations. But alas, it's not only the failure of Samson. It's not only the failure of Israel. Too often this is our failure as well. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16 that we are to let our lights so shine that others would see our good works and thereby give glory 
to the God of heaven. The world should see our good works. They should see our love for one another. They should see our faith and hope in God. They should see our concern for peace and justice, for life and truth. They should see the consistency of our lives and by that give praise to the God that we worship. Unfortunately, too often they don't. Because they see our hypocrisy. They hear our words of worship on one day, but then they hear our words of profanity the next. They see us worshiping God on Sunday, but then chasing and worshiping the almighty dollar on Monday. And rather than worshiping the God that we proclaim as the only true God, they end up worshiping themselves for a God of their own making. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Samson had a marvelous, wonderful, God-ordained platform on which to give glory to God, to call the nation of Israel to the proper worship, to the destruction of his enemies. And rather than give glory to God, Samson glorified in Samson. And God brought him low. Real low. you know what? I think it was Dr. King. I heard quote several times where he says that only when it is dark enough, can you see the stars? Only when it is dark enough, can you see the stars? And for Samson, it was dark. Charles Wesley said in that wonderful Him, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. That's Samson. In the prison of his own sin, fast bound in his own nature's night. Perpetual darkness as he ground around and around and around that millstone. He couldn't see anything, so all he had was the memories of his sin. All he had was the memories of how he had forsaken his God, how he had moved away from the plan of God for his life, and he sought his own pleasures, sought his own desires, sought his own fulfillment. No more lust of the eyes. He can't see anything. But all he has are the memories how far he has fallen and how he has sinned and mocked his God. But you know, it's something that's interesting. Samson, you can imagine as the wheels of his mind were turning, even as the millstone was turning. And it's almost like he, he's like the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 who's out there among the, the pigs and in the slop. And suddenly the Bible says he comes to himself. He comes to himself and he realizes something. 
And so here is Samson in his darkest hour. In the midst of the darkness and the shame that has become his life, he comes to himself and he realizes something. He realizes that he is a son of God. He realizes that he has a calling upon his life. He he realizes that he belonged not to the Philistines, but that he belonged to the God of heaven and earth. He realized that sin need not be the end of his story, but the power and the grace of God is. So he grabs hold. Once again, he reaches out for the power of God according to the grace and the mercy of God, even at his lowest. But how does it come to him? How does the grace of God come to him? How does the mercy of God come to, come to him in such a low and dark spot? It comes, beloved, by way of repentance. It comes by way of repentance. For Samson says, Oh, Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me. Now that should, that should, that should catch our attention. That should, that should shock us into understanding where Samson has come because I am quite confident that Samson never said please in his life. Never had to. He got whatever he wanted and if he, they didn't give it to him, he took it. Now he prayed. Please, God, remember me. That is a sign, beloved, of the proud becoming humble. That is a sign of the strong admitting to weakness. That is a sign of a heart that is in position to be used mightily of God when Samson cries out, Lord, please remember me. What a powerful and simple Remember me. It's the prayer that Hannah prayed in 1 Samuel chapter 1 when she was asking the Lord to make her womb that was barren fruitful. She cried out to the Lord, Lord, remember me. It is the prayer of Nehemiah in chapter 13 and verse 14 as he is facing the opposition in the building up of the wall and wondering how he's going to face up against this strong opposition. He cries out, Lord, remember me. It's a cry of David in Psalm 25 and, and verse 7 when he says, Lord, as you are handing out your mercy and your steadfast love, please remember me. Is a cry of the psalmist in Psalm 106 when he is there and looking at the goodness of God as God is being good to the nation of Israel. And he says, Lord, as you are being good to your people, Remember 
is the cry of Jeremiah. As he's trying to, and he's, and he's preaching to a people who don't want to hear, to the hard-hearted nation of Israel, wondering if his preaching is going to be fruitful or effectual in the nation's life, Jeremiah says, Lord, remember me. But of course, is it the cry of the thief on the cross? He's then beholding the peace with which Jesus is receiving a punishment that was not due him at all. As he sees our Lord taking upon himself the punishment that was due him, he says, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, please remember. That's a sign, beloved, of a heart that has been humbled. That's a sign of a heart that knows that it stands in the need of the grace of God. That is a sign, that is a sign of a heart that understands when sin blinds, the cry should be, remember me. When sin binds, the prayer should be, Lord, remember me. When sin grinds, the prayer should be again and again, Lord, remember me. And the Lord does remember, beloved, because when the Lord remembers, grace abounds. When the Lord remembers, you are reminded that wherever your sin does abound, grace does abound much more. When the Lord remembers, grace comes and finds you. Where sin blinds you, grace comes and finds you. Where sin binds you, grace comes and finds you. Where sin grinds you. Grace comes and finds you. Finds you. That's why John Newton had it so right when he said, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now grace has found me. I once was blind, but now grace has called me. To see. What does he see? What does he see? What did it take Samson becoming blind to see? He came to see what had been true all along. That it wasn't his hair. For his hair had already grown back. That it wasn't his hair. But from the very beginning, it had always been not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And it took Samson being blinded to see that. And now he sees. 
and even in his death. God uses Samson one last time to accomplish his glory, even the defeat of his enemy. In death, Samson finds victory. In death. So God accomplishes his glorious purposes. When Samson died, over 3,000 Philistines died. And that reminds us, once again, that our God is sovereign, even in death. When Samson died, 3,000 Philistines died. When Christ died, Sin died, even when our Lord was raised. That's why Paul could say, and we can say, death, where is thy sting? Death, where is thy victory? Because it has no more victory. Because sin died. Christ died. We, beloved, who are in Christ, no matter whatever happens in our life, we die in grace. We die in victory. Death is but the final coffin the final nail in the coffin that is sin in our life. That's what death is. When the saint of God dies, it is the final nail in the coffin that is your sin. You shall live again. Sin lives no more. And swallowed up in the victory. That is ours in Jesus Christ. Here's the only question left for us to ask this morning. Will you, like Samson, die in grace? Or better yet, are you living? Has the amazing, abounding grace of God found you? No matter where you are, no matter how dark your night, no matter how bad the sin or the circumstances, this morning, the grace of God can find you. All you need come to Christ and repent. And you will be able to sing again like John Newton. Through many toils, trials, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe this far. And like Samson, it will be grace that leads you home. But you must come faith and repentance.
and just say two simple words. Remember me. Remember me. And I'll lower the lights to come and strengthen you one more time and remind you that the victory is yours in Christ Jesus. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within everything, everything can be covered by the grace of God. All you got to do is say, Lord, remember me. Would you pray that with me this morning? Let us pray. Oh, Father, remember us this morning. In the midst of our trials, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our waywardness, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our neglect of your word, in the midst of our grieving of your spirit, in our darkness, in our sin. Dear God, please, remember us. We pray, Lord, this morning that your grace would abound that your steadfast love and mercy would know no boundary in this place. That no one here, under the sound of my voice, would leave this place not in your grace, not the recipient of your mercy, not forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. Grant repentance. Grant faith. Grant peace. In Jesus' name, amen.